The Flight Deck is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you to the donors who sustain the Museum of Flight. To support this podcast and the museum's other educational initiatives, visit museumofflight.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Sean Mobley. Today's episode features one of the youngest people I've interviewed on the podcast. Author, astrophysicist, and science communicator Joao de Morancy wrote their young reader's book, Aliens, Join the Scientists Searching Space for Extraterrestrial Life, while they were still a college student at the University of Chicago. The book is a scientifically grounded investigation of many ways life in the universe might evolve on other planets or moons or in interstellar space, and also showcases the techniques scientists are using to explore the Milky Way and beyond. Joalda joined me for a conversation about science, about finding their people, and the reasons genuine representation in STEM helps make our own planet a better place for everyone. Joabla, thank you so much for joining me today. Yes, I'm excited to be here. Well, why don't we start kind of big picture. Who are you and and what are your connections to aerospace? Yeah, that's a wonderful question that I'm still trying to figure out myself. Um, (laughs) So I guess like for my own intro, what I currently do, I work as um, an aerospace systems engineer at Blue Origin. And specifically there, I kind of do avionics integration and tests. So basically integrating all the electrical boxes on our lunar lander vehicle um, into one lab and then running it with all the necessary software components, hardware components, et cetera, and making sure that everything works before we fly fly up into space and hopefully to land on the moon. We'll see. (laughs) Um, So that's what I currently do right now. And then like, I guess for my current hobbies, I like to do a lot of reading. Um, I'm trying to get better at writing. Um, and then, yeah, just like hanging with my cats is also large. They're my two roommates. So, um, of course, got to have some time with them. But yeah, I guess my introduction to aerospace um, was kind of interesting. So I like frequently tell a story that in like sophomore year in high school, I like watched a YouTube video of an astronaut, it was specifically Chris Hadfield making a sandwich in aerospace. My best friend heard this episode, he would make fun of me because I've told that story so many times, but it's how I got started. Um, and um, I was, I really fell in love with that video and I'm like, ooh, maybe I want to do like space stuff like for the rest of my life. So I like watch more videos, went down the YouTube rabbit hole. I think like the next thing I watched was like a 30 minute tour of the international space station that I saw on YouTube. And I was like, this is awesome. So since then I like really wanted to get into aerospace, specifically the space side. Oh, and then I was like, Ooh, maybe I want to be an astronaut one day. So I made that my goal and I was like 15 at the time. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. Um, and so when I was applying to college, I was like kind of figuring out how I can like use college to get closer to my goal. And I was like highly focused on just like, only becoming an astronaut, I need to do everything I need to, everything I need to do needs to be contributing to the goal of astronaut. Um, so when I was applying to college, I think I wanted to work on like 
nuclear fusion propulsion and like rockets and stuff like that so I was like I'm gonna apply as like a nuclear engineering major um and I was gonna do that but then I got into the school I went to University of Chicago and I went there um and they didn't have any engineering at their school so I'm like well okay well <laughs> you can't do anything <laughs> Um, so I became a physics major and then later I became an astrophysics major, even though I changed my major a lot during college. Um, and then as time went on, I also like started to let go of the astronaut dream only because it felt like so far away and I was like getting tired from college. It was like a new experience and like, I'm not smart enough for this. Like I like felt like I didn't have much support starting college because I came from, um, a first generation low income background. And so everything I had learned since then was, like, just me grinding in high school, even though, like, I don't know. I guess I didn't have the same opportunities as a lot of people I met in college. So it was definitely, like, a culture shock. Um, and I struggled a lot, but I made it out. Um, and now here I am. After, like, a few internships later, I interned with, like, NASA JPL, which is super awesome. And I also interned with my current employer, Blue Origin, which was also super awesome. I still, still can't believe I get to do the things I do currently, but yeah, that's like a quick, quick summary on how I got here. You said earlier that you're trying to become a better writer and, and that seems so fascinating considering that you are a published author. Yes, I, okay. That's a good point. And I, it's, it's definitely the imposter syndrome that tends to get to me as I like, especially since I read so much, I read so many books that I'm like, I wish I can like write like this. Um, but yeah, I am still proud of like the fact that I was able to write Aliens, which is the nonfiction children's book I wrote. Um, so Aliens is a children's nonfiction book um, that focuses on how scientists today are searching for extraterrestrial life in space. And so it kind of goes over the history of like, our relationship with aliens and like where that term comes from and then also like conspiracy theories that people have tend to like like gravitate towards and then it goes into like actual like scientific missions and how like even though like aliens sell something straight out of sci-fi and it's like ooh like little green men etc um there are people today like astrophysicists astronomers physicists um planetary scientists etc who are trying their best to like understand like how we came well, like how we formed here on earth how other life might form elsewhere and whether we're alone in the universe right the lowell observatory was founded partially yeah. to find aliens yeah so it's an ongoing search or hopefully one day i would hope in my lifetime that we get like a cool like more def definitive answer but that's like a lot to hope for and definitely requires a lot of work um but yeah, so that's what the book is about and the background to how I got to writing it. Um, it was 2020 and I was in my quarantine dorm during college taking my online Zoom classes. And I was like, you know what, since I have like so much more free time because I'm stuck in a room, let me just like do like some cool research about um, various like science topics that I've like heard a bunch about, but I didn't really know too much about them. So I'm like, let me just do a deep dive just so I can like learn more because I'm bored. Um, and then at the same time, I was like, oh, you know, like if I'm like doing all this research into this topic, I may as well share it with everyone else um, in the meantime. And so I use Twitter a lot. Um, and so I kind of posted everything I learned on there. And this is kind of what started me posting a bunch of 
Twitter threads online. So I did like a lot of various topics. Did one on like blue sunsets on Mars, Mars volcanism. Um, well, what's blue sunsets on Mars? Yes. So as <laughs> I guess a quick summary of that on Earth, we experience red, reddish, orangish sunsets. And that's due to an effect called Rayleigh scattering. Um, and it's basically like the size of like the particles interacting with the Earth's atmosphere causes certain colors to be filtered out. And we see other colors such as um, like red and orange during sunsets and then blue during the day. Um, but on Mars, the effect is different because there's different interactions between those incoming um, photon light particles and the Martian atmosphere. And because of those different effects compared to Earth, it causes sunsets to be blue on Mars instead of red slash orange. Um, that's a very generalized <laughs> actually happening, so no one come after me. Um, but yeah, so like cool stuff like that that I did a lot of research on. And then one day, I my, one of my friends really wanted me to do a thread on like terraforming Mars because like so many people like talked about that. And it was like this like super futuristic concept. And I'm like, let me just figure this out and see what's what's the deal with <laughs> with with this whole topic. So I did a deep dive and I was like, interesting. This is like cool info. I'm not convinced. I'm still not convinced that it's something that's worth doing, but that's a whole different conversation. Totally to another day. Um, but yeah, so I posted that thread on like my Twitter account like one evening. And then the next evening, I like woke up and like I went on Twitter. I had my notifications turned off for my phone because I wanted to try not to get distracted. I opened Twitter and I was like, why do I have like hundreds of notifications right now? I just see like a bunch of like people interacting, blah, blah. And then, so the thread went like a little viral. And I was like, oh, wow, this is like so many people interacting with me that I've never dealt with ever in my life. Um and it was like a lot of people just interested in the subject and providing their own thoughts. And it was super cool to like talk about like these fun topics with other people who are interested. Um, I also got in a few arguments with people who I am of the, like I said, of the opinion that I don't think we should terraform Mars. And of course there are people who are like, oh no, it's worth it. So I got into a little, little tussle there, but um, it was all like super interesting. And that's kind of what I feel like grew my platform a lot. Um, and so I, throughout the year, I post some more threads on various topics and I post threads here and there. Um, I think I've gotten just more busy because of like work and finishing up school, but, um, yeah. So back to how this ties into the book, um, a few months later from posting that thread on Mars, I got an email from this, um, editor at this imprint and publishing imprint. And they were like, Hey, my name's Sam. Blah, blah. I work at this specific imprint. Um, and months ago, I saw your thread on terraforming Mars, and I really liked the way that you like explained this complex topic in like accessible terms. And basically, somehow this transitioned into him saying, "We want to publish this book on aliens, and we th- think you could be a good fit. Would you be interested in this opportunity?" And I was like, "Oh my gosh! Like I don't know how me <laughs> writing threads on Twitter translates well into me being able to write a book." But I was like course i'll like do it i didn't even consider whether i had the time to i just like saw the coolest opportunity i'm like i can't pass this up um so i responded like as soon as i saw it i'm like yes hello like to give me all the details blah blah blah. um and that kind of started the whole process from that was so that was in february 2021 that the editor reached out 
And from February to November of the same year, I like went through a whole process of drafting, writing, helping plan illustrations, etc. Um, and then the book came out the following year in um, September, October of 2022. Um, so that's like, it's been about a year, which is kind of wild. Um, but yeah, it was definitely an interesting process and I learned more about writing in general and it's inspired me to continue to write and hopefully write like fiction novels in the future or more nonfiction stuff, etc. But just generally improving my communication skills. And what I like about the the book, it's the kind of book that uh, young Sean would have absolutely loved. And I read kind of similar things. I remember seeing in some magazine or something for kids when I was growing up, basically a, a, a sentence and a picture that you've extrapolated into a whole book, which is that uh, aliens very well may exist. They very well will not but they're going to look like they evolved on their planet. They are not going to necessarily look like our pop culture imaginings. And I remember seeing this this picture, you probably saw it in your research, I don't know, of like what a Martian could be, and it had like big like suction cup kind of feet or something like that. I just have this very vivid uh, memory of that. And how how do you think people can rethink what they think about aliens? Yeah. I think that's like a very good point that you bring up. I think a lot of like humans want to like kind of see themselves in like concepts they think about. Hence, like you see like the classic alien have like two arms and two legs and a bulbous head and two eyeballs. When like like you said, like an alien will evolve to live on their respective planet. Um, they're not going to always have the, they're most likely not going to have the exact same conditions we have on earth. So they're not going to necessarily have legs or they're not going to necessarily have two eyes that help them see. Maybe they don't need to see. Maybe they just communicate through um, like a sense of touch or anything like that. Um, so I think it's definitely hard for, I think like just the average human to like well, I don't think it's hard to conceptualize, but I think it's hard to get a grasp of because, like, we're so used to seeing, like, other humans all the time. But something that I like to think about is, like, you look at, like, maybe just, like, a random animal that isn't a human. Let's just say, like, a, a spider. That, we do not look anything like spiders. Um, but you, we can kind of understand that they exist to, like, survive in their own means and do their own thing. And you can kind of apply that to how an alien on like some other planet far away in a different galaxy, or not even in a different galaxy, just in a different solar system within the Milky Way, might also like maybe like look spider-like. Um, you can just see like the amount of diversity in the animals that exist, and the animals, insects, etc., that exist on Earth to just understand that there there is a wide possibility of what life can look like in this universe and we've yet to find it um and hope i'm hoping one day we do that would be super exciting but i think at the same time it's something i cover in the book i it's very mixed on how people will would react to a discovery like that um but yeah it's something i like time is tend to think about in the back of my head i'm like i don't know how people would respond to like I guess a new creature just existing even though like if you look at earth there's like tons of like creatures that we don't understand that's just living among us 
So in the <laughs> very, I guess in some sense it's it'll be new to us, but in a way it might not. I guess we might just think of it as like another like organism that just I don't know is existing. I don't know if that made sense, but <laughs> no, it did. It did because they're I mean they're discovering new species all the time, exactly on Earth. So what you're saying is this could just be another new species it just happens to live yeah a solar system away yeah like maybe we're a few light years away yeah 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 so what are some uh stories that didn't make it in that book oh any, any particularly interesting research to share that you're just dying to get out there well actually i i think i when i was writing i was having trouble finding s- stories to put in the book only because i feel like even though like astrobiology in itself is such a grand field it, i feel like there's not as many like missions that are trying to investigate compared to like maybe other fields um so i feel like the the stories i put in there are pretty like representative of like the entirety of the field but i i guess i will say there's a lot of stories i think are not um well I'm trying to think of how best to put this. There are a lot of stories that aren't as popular as like, for example, we tend to talk about like the Voyager Golden Record, which has like that like golden record that like disc with a lot of aspects of humanity, etc. And that's like an interesting thing to think about when it comes to astrobiology. Um, but like one of like I think the most underrated stories in the book that I covered was the idea of panspermia. Um, and then a lot of people have like very mixed feelings on this theory, which I think is the reason it makes it more interesting. But basically, it's this theory that like life didn't directly develop on Earth, but instead it was like transported through like a comet or like um, an asteroid, like in- impacting with Earth, etc. And I think that's like a really cool theory to think about. Oh, obviously, there's a lot of evidence that points to life developing directly on Earth which is why maybe it might not be applicable to our own planet. But I think like when in the grand scheme of things, like there's like during planetary formation, like these like huge like planets or balls of like hot rock are like getting impacted by many (laughs) different rocks all the time. So I don't think it's the craziest thing to say that if like some like extremophile was like just chilling on like some like asteroid and got (laughs) into another planet that they would just stay there and like i don't know produce more organisms and like expand life oh no um so i think that story like that story is pretty underrated and i think there's a couple of those in the book um yeah when we see that idea still present with us when we talk about like the apollo 11 astronauts when they came back there was all this fear that they would bring back something from the moon yeah uh, as as far as I understand it, scientists were like, they're not going to bring anything back. But people, the, the book Andromeda Strain had recently come out. And mm-hmm. so the public was kind of nervous about it. Yeah. <laughs> so they had the astronauts uh, sequester themselves. And then just very recently in the news, NASA brought back a sample from uh, an extraterrestrial sample, uh, an asteroid, I think. Oh, yes. Um, and I, I feel... I feel for the NASA social media managers because in the comments it's filled with people saying you shouldn't do this because uh, it'll unleash uh, unleash destruction on the earth in the form of some sort of plague that might be coming 
from this guy. And and I I, I, I don't want to discount people's concerns and fears. Of course, um, you know, yeah, yeah. we should always be mindful about how we proceed with science. I I guess my response to that, I think it's inter- I think it's still like this is where I think science communication becomes super important to like you don't like ridicule people for their thoughts unless they're harassing you with like ridicule and then maybe that calls for a different approach but in a way it's in that point you kind of have to work to explain it in terms that like the general public can understand but what i want to say is that it's interesting that like a lot of people like what you mentioned about apollo 11 and also the osiris rex mission um a lot of people are concerned about us bringing like some sort of like extraterrestrial alien like bacteria back to earth but like when it comes to like planetary protection to other planets like i feel like that just goes out the window for people they just like it's not there's not as much of a concern i understand because earth is full with known life and from what we can tell right now none of the other planets seem to host any organic life it's just like we've littered so much stuff on other planets that definitely like had bacteria just like chilling on like the size of the spacecraft something i'm thinking back to i think it was like israel that launched like a moon lander it crashed and there was a bunch of um tardigrades on the spacecraft and the tardigrades were just like chilling on the moon (laughs) until like they probably perished at some point um but stuff like that that i feel like things should go both ways whether we know there's life that exists or not um i don't know that's my opinion i know a lot of people have very like passionate takes on planetary protection in general um yeah, that's that's interesting. I I don't think I'd ever really considered that. So as you've uh, talk a little bit about your your research, you said you switched your your dissertation and stuff a few times in astronomy and astrophysics and stuff like that. So share a little bit about what you studied. Oh yeah, <laughs> so I was I definitely did not know what I was doing when I started college, and I think that's fine. Like I don't think. I don't think you should ever expect an 18-year-old to have their entire life figured out. Some of them do, which wonderful for them, but I not. I just I'm so it. happy for them. <laughs> yeah. I, I would love to know their secret. Um, I definitely did not. I knew I wanted to do something space related, but even like now I'm still like trying to figure out. Um, I landed on astrophysics and then I thought I wanted to do planetary science as my main um, research interest, so I tagged on geophysics to that. So I was a geophysics and astrophysics major. And I was like, this is great. This is super cool. And then with geophysics, I got to learn more about earth science in general. And that's kind of what I did for my internship when I was at JPL. Um, So I thought that was super cool. And I was going to continue to do that. But my senior year was the year I interned with my current company, Blue Origin. But it was during the school year. I had to like sacrifice some classes Basically, I was working on a space station as my internship project. I'm like, that's so cool. Like, how can I give up that opportunity? And then I just ended up with astrophysics, ultimately, as what I graduated a degree with. Um, and yeah, so I did a lot of research with, like, um, high-energy astrophysics during college. And like I said, I did an internship in earth science. And then with Blue Origin, I did engineering. And then I think my time with Blue Origin made me realize that I want to pursue engineering permanently or aerospace engineering permanently for now when people think of nasa they think of other planets uh they don't realize how much earth science goes into nasa can you share just a little more about what you did there 
Yes, I. This is also something I realized when I started at JPO. Um, and so I specifically worked on the Eco Stress mission, which is basically um, a radiometer that was that's on the ISS or International Space Station, and it basically looks at plant temperatures from space. And from that, you can like get more information on like potential droughts, drought indicators. You can also like look at wildfires from space. Um, etc. And so one of the things I mainly did was create a lot of like um, maps using GIS software to like map like um, different like I guess areas of the world. So like I did a lot of like wildfire stuff for like California and like mapping those. Um, I did like maps on like drought indications like Africa and whatnot etc. And then I also like fulfilled like a lot of scientists like would want us to like give them data um, across the world and just like have us make them maps for them and whatnot. And so I did a lot of that and fulfilling those requests. And it was super cool because it gave me like a perspective that like I never really had before. I've always wanted to get more involved with earth science and climate science in general. And I feel like that definitely gave me a greater appreciation. Um, but yeah, super cool mission. I think it's important for people to remember that NASA is not only just like space physics, space science, like a lot of the research we depend on to like tackle like the like ever growing climate change issue um, and whatnot. And I think, and then it's also good to remember that NASA does not receive that high of a budget in general. So the work that they do like in anything, I think is like highly important. And it's awesome that they have accomplished what they have with the like little money that they receive. So you've talked a little bit about working at Blue Origin, working at NASA, um, and th this mini series, this season of the podcast is about LGBTQ plus people in aerospace. So why do you think it's important to kind of be able to show up in a workplace kind of authentically as yourself? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. And it's something that's taken me a lot of time to figure out because there's no one I looked up to and would immediately say, that's like my role model. This is someone who I can see myself in and like try to achieve what they can achieve. Cause there's, if you like look at, especially the history of like space exploration, it's very like military, white man, cis man, um, straight, et cetera. Very like a specific archetype of person that is not relatable whatsoever for a lot of people across the world. Um, and so growing up, I didn't really have any role models. And then, in college is when I like kind of figured more about like my gender, my sexuality and whatnot. And that's when I came out um, and I faced a lot of backlash from my parents. And that's like the last time I ever talked to them after I came out. And so like navigating that space with like a little lack of support from like my family and then also just not having much representation in the field in the first place was extremely difficult and made me wonder like, is this like even my place? I feel so awkward in all the spaces that I'm in. Should I even be here? And to know that there's so many people that go through that exact feeling is like so depressing to me because I felt I was extremely depressed during like those couple of years in college when I was like figuring things out. Um, and even though I think today we're making a lot of progress, it's not enough if I like, I guess if I'm being completely honest. Um, at my current company, even though I feel like compared to maybe like 
the average like aerospace company, like maybe like an older space company like Boeing or like Lockheed Martin or something like that. Like I definitely get to experience more diversity and like meet people who come from various different walks of life and whatnot. But like at the same time, I like there's many times where I log into a meeting and it's I'm like the only like non-man in there or I'm the only black person in there. Or I am, from what I can tell, like, the only queer person that exists because I hear, like, these guys, like, talk about their wives and their, like, families at home, etc. And it, like, walking around the office, I also notice this. And it feels, like, so awkward because I feel like I'm just, like, I'm, like, sticking out like a sore thumb, if that makes sense. Um, And to, I guess, like, to people who don't, like, experience those issues, like, I guess at work, it feels like a regular day for them. But to me, in the back of my head, I am always thinking about how I feel like I'm like an, uh, an outsider in a way or like um, an outlier. So because of those feelings and just like <laughs> that creating a sense of like distress within myself, I think it, this is why I think representation is important. But I, I want to do representation in a way that I'm just accomplishing my dreams and not letting any parts of my identity like hold me back or not that they would hold me back but other people would allow them to hold me back I'm trying to I guess create representation through like execution of my own goals in my own life and I feel like in that way people can feel um empowered to like people who come from similar backgrounds with me can feel empowered to do the same so I don't want to just like go into like um I don't know like schools and go to younger children and just tell them like oh it's possible without like showing them like I was able to do it you know like you can try this out too and here is like a ton of resources and a ton of people you can talk to or um other examples of people you can try to look up to who have also accomplished similar goals that you have you said when you started you weren't aware of a lot of those people and resources now that you are what are some that you would recommend for people to check out if they're in a similar situation yeah um i think this is where i a lot of people have mixed feelings on just like social media and the internet in general because obviously you need to be careful about like where exactly you're getting your information from but i think honestly social media for me was the best way I learned that like other people are experiencing similar issues to me I like I have to well I have to thank old Twitter for a lot of like the opportunities I got I think through social media and just getting to meet people across the world and also get to hear stories that are so similar to mine I think is that was the best way for me to understand what resources were available I guess regarding specific ones there's like now a lot of like um educational opportunities and also like career focused programs that like help uplift those members like for example in aerospace there's a lot of program or fellowship programs like um brooke owens fellowship is super popular and that's for women and gender minorities in aerospace the patty grace smith fellowship is for um black people in aerospace um and then there's like Zed Factor Fellowship, which is for um, underrepresented minority groups in aerospace. So things like that, I feel like, are definitely opening the doors. And in that sense, communities are created because you're surrounded by people who have gone through very similar life experiences. But th- that's just to name a few. I can't remember all of them off the top of my head, but um, yeah. 
So it, it sounds like the, the, the tools available for building community are, are growing and even more important. You've, you've talked a little bit about science fiction. Was that a big influence in your life? <laughs> yes, I, I will... I, I'll be careful with my yes. I had not seen like I still have not seen like any of the full Star Trek or Star Wars movies, but a lot of like the sci-fi shows I would watch growing up, I think just like it generally inspired me to like want to work in the field of STEM because I was like I want to see this happen in my lifetime, and someone has to do the work, so I guess I'm gonna go help do the work. Um, and so like a lot of shows that inspired me was like Back to the Future was like my favorite trilogy for a long time. This is more like, this is not exactly like futuristic sci-fi, but I was a big fan of the show Lost um, when I was a kid. <laughs> I still love it. Um, and then like current shows, I love The Expanse, though it ended. I love that series so much. Um, and I feel like it's very representative of what I would expect our future to be, well, for better or for worse. Um, so sci-fi has inspired me to like pursue my career because I want to live in the cool well, the cool aspects of the futuristic universes I tend to watch. I don't know about the <laughs> going to war and fighting everyone <laughs> aspect, but we'll, that's a that's a different combo. Cross those bridges yeah. when we get there. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. you you saying that has kind of um, I have a very unscientific hypothesis. I can't remember if I've mentioned this on the show before that LGBTQ plus people and and other people on the margins are are drawn to aerospace careers partly because of science fiction and a desire. So like in a lot of science fiction, especially things like Star Trek, which is pretty ubiquitous, it's a future where a person's identity is both core and essential to who they are, but also like doesn't matter. And I don't mean doesn't matter as in like no one cares, but it's, it's kind of like what you're talking about earlier. You just kind of live in your life. And yeah, and exactly. that's that, and you can just live your life, and uh, and my hypothesis is is that there may be a disproportionate number of LGBT <laughs> people in aerospace, partially out of a desire to kind of bring bring that future about where people can just yeah. kind of live their life. Yeah, I mean, I would totally agree with that. I feel like in these shows, like you you see futures where you can be like I'm trying to think of the, the right word you can you can just be like be who you are without worrying that your identity is like like I said earlier gonna hold you back in any way or people are gonna judge you based off your identity um I feel like in a lot of sci-fi shows I see like it's not you you get to experience like very different cultures that exist within the universe um and I feel like that's super important to see that representation. For me, like, for example, in The Expanse, um, I feel like, if you've, if you've seen that, I feel like the Belters are very awesome and, like, a, a good ver version of representation that, like, people would want to see in these sci-fi universes. I'm also thinking back to, um, have, I don't know if you've read the Murderbot series by Martha Wells. Murderbot? Yeah. I have not. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a great, it's a great series. I, I promise. Um, but you got to see like a lot, of, like individuals of different gender identities within that book, and just like see how that's explored and whatnot. And so I feel like seeing that representation helps um queer people to understand that 
like there's there's a future where we are exist and we are proud to exist what gets you excited about your work i think it ties back to the sci-fi aspect i feel like i grew up watching like a lot of like cool like oh like we're going to mars we're going to these different planets and now i get to say that like i'm helping build a vehicle that is gonna like take astronauts across space and whatnot part of it has also like made me realize how far a lot of sci-fi concepts are in the future and that has been a sad aspect where i'm like oh what do you mean we're not gonna have like a city on mars in like 10 years i don't know why i I ever thought that would happen um but i think understanding that i guess it's made me more excited because i am like contributing at least a small aspect to like a very like exciting future and then i think uh, everyone tends to say this but I do think the people, like, inspire me to be there. I I feel like that's, like, a very important aspect to, I guess, a very important aspect of anyone's job to just be surrounded by people who feel similar or feel as passionate about the mission that as you do um, and, like, also love, like, cool, like, fun sci-fi stuff. Um, I think that's important, but yeah. Well, Joala, thank you so much for taking time to chat with me today. No, thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. This podcast is only possible thanks to the generosity of our donors. Thank you for making The Flight Deck happen. You can pick up Joala's book, Aliens, Join the Scientists Searching Space for Extraterrestrial Life at the Museum of Flight store. We're heading into the holiday season as this episode releases, and it makes a great gift for the young scientist in your life. You can find a link to buy it in our show notes if you're interested in checking it out. Now, we're right in the middle of our mini-series focusing on LGBTQ plus stories in aerospace. And during this mini-series, we're trying something new by actively inviting our listeners to respond. If something in Joala's story inspired you, or if you've experienced something similar in your own life and want to share, you can contact the show at podcast at museumofflight.org. If we get enough responses and enough interest, we'll share them on a follow-up episode to the miniseries. Please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you downloaded us from. It really helps us a lot. So thank you for those of you who have reviewed us, especially on Spotify, where we just launched the podcast. Until next time, this is your host, Sean Mobley, saying to everyone out there on that good earth, we'll see you out there, folks.